Hey guys, welcome to the Tech People Podcast. My name is Ken Coyne. I'm your host and founder, as well as head of technology at Ops Talent. I believe at the heart of any success story are the people who made it happen. Diversity, creativity, and innovation, when nurtured in people, can lead to an unbeatable formula. I created this podcast to share the experiences of some truly inspirational leaders on their journey to success. Enjoy the show. Hey guys, and welcome back to the show. Today we continue our series on gaming. So we're going to Munich in Germany to meet up with Henrik Lesser. Now, one company is not enough for Henrik. He's actually involved in multiples of companies. And I think it's actually over 10 or 12 companies at this stage. So just to mention a few, uh, he's CEO of Remote Control Productions, which is Europe's biggest game developer family. He's a founder and president of European Games BizDev Gathering. He's a member of the supervisory board of Zeus. Also president of Shimara Entertainment, president of Gamify, and the list goes on. Very impressive, and I'm going to learn more about how he actually manages all these companies shortly. So in the podcast, we're going to just learn a bit more about Henrik, how he got into gaming, what, what made him start his own company. We're going to talk a bit more about the European Games Biz Dev Gathering, which is a two-day-long online event focused on supporting European game developers during times of ongoing crisis. And I think this is quite relevant as well in the current environment. And also, what does the future hold? So welcome to the show, Henrik. Thanks, Ken, for having me. I'm excited to be here and to have this little discussion with you. Great, and I'm quite interested to learn more about gaming, especially in terms of Germany, because obviously you're from Munich and your experience. So maybe we could start with, maybe you could tell us a bit about your background and how you got into gaming. So I'm 43 right now. I started playing games when I was four, so it's been a while. Uh, <laughs> I basically never stopped. I have a huge collection. So to start with, you know, my career is very much connected also to my passion of loving games and nerd stuff, uh, okay. into comics and history and politics and a TV series and, and shit like that. So that has always been a major part of my life. And uh, kind of the touch points already with business I had when I was already, when I was still a kid, we wanted to have games. Games were expensive. My, my parents, you know, showed me, you know, were not really happy to engage and, and uh, spend a lot of money on it. So I had to organize it differently. So I organized okay. copy rings, uh, many of them. When the PlayStation came out, we found ways to, you know, find creative ways to spend less on the games and so on. Obviously, this is all in the past since I really started. <laughs> you're reformed. You're reformed. Uh, yeah, this is also, um, I always also tell my people, and especially the youngsters, it's all great what we did in the past, and we did this not to become rich. You know, it was never a business copying games. Uh, it was always about, you know, that we can play the games. But the moment you become pro, this has to stop in the same second, because we cannot go on this and at the same time making this a business. So over time, I, you know, uh, at the university, Studied first political science and then uh, philosophy of the Jesuits. Both I didn't finish. You know, the, my university was always okay. about be getting an education. You can imagine political science, philosophy you know, doesn't necessarily prove the point for any specific job. It's just more kind of an underlying basis for being a critical thinker. And to a certain degree, I also learned a lot from playing shit ton of strategy games as a kid, as a teenager, about you know making decisions, making decisions fast under pressure understanding consequences and all that. that. That shaped my mind quite a bit. And during 
the, my last days of university, I kind of stumbled upon through a friend that Take Two Interactive, which is very well known with Rockstar Games and 2K and Private Division as their three main labels. They still have a subsidiary in Munich. And through a friend, I knew someone there, uh, started as an intern, you know, four weeks in, went to the UK, sat there to check GTA 3. Ooh, and that is, you know, for, for yeah. Great so game. that is just a moment when Rockstar Games really became cool. And I was this intern sitting in Lincoln in the middle of uh, the UK, helping the QA team to basically oh, yeah. finish the German version. Germany always had very specific regulations on age rating and so on. So I have a credit in GTA 3, a tiny, tiny one. And then they did a similar thing on awesome. Max Payne 1. So, you know, I, I got lucky, right timing. And then I started as a product manager after my internship uh, there. So kind of doing marketing uh, for some games in the regional territory, as in Germany, Austria, and Switzerland, you know, this German-speaking part of it. Then during those years, to be honest, you know, because it's very cyclical, is I became a bit bored. So I started reaching out uh, to developers who didn't have deals and started to do biz dev with them through Take-Two. And I had a, you know, very nice boss who allowed me doing it. So I became kind of a product sourcing, you know, and then we made a deal and then it was the question, now, now who's going to produce it? Producing as in, you know, guiding the team on finishing the game. So mm, I do. I don't really know anything about it. So I I had to teach myself and went to the first GDCs. The first GDC actually, it's a big, big, big show in San Francisco every year with more than 30,000 professionals and I think now a thousand talks and panels. Wow. And the first time I went there, I actually paid on my own when I was already at Take Two, but I was still, you know, intern junior. So I paid on it on my own, went there on my holidays. So let's say, you know, I was driven. Fantastic. Five years uh, after this, when I started there, I left Take Two and basically found remote control productions. Awesome. Yeah, that's, I mean, that was an incredible experience. Well, so what made you start your own company then? You just felt I could do this myself or I could do mm, it It's better? actually a mixture during that time, you know, I mentioned Rockstar Games. Uh, you know, Rockstar Games became from, let's say, you know, only very few people actually knew they existed to the coolest shop in the world in gaming. That changed the company's culture, company policies, and there was a lot of turmoil involved. I mentioned my political science and philosophy. You know, there was a moment where we as a team in Germany got really challenged from the corporate side. So I formed a workers' council and fought back. Okay. Yeah. And that I did, you know, for almost a year within Tech Two as a, you know, twenty-seven year old or something, which was a very interesting experience. So at one point in time, I knew that, you know, initially I would have loved to, you know, stay at Tech Two. And when one of my bosses asked me what my goals are in the company, I said, you know, I don't want to have your job here in Germany. I want the job of your boss's job. I want to become the CEO of the whole company yeah. in New York. That would have been, you know, a great path staying in a company too. So I never thought it, you know, skipping or jumping companies made any sense. But as I said, forming a workers' council doesn't make you necessarily the most popular guy in the corporate side of the company. So it was time to go. In Germany back in the days, you know, 2005, on the one hand side already had existed and established development companies. But overall, in Germany, we had the problem of being big enough as a market but not really that big that you can really, you know, if you make it here, you make it anywhere. So a lot of German teams came a bit complacent with the market and I tried to, you know, do something with that. So when I left the company, it was clear that, you know, the next thing I'm going to do is do something on my own. 
um, applying the knowledge, the experience I got in a very special career and very unusual career for a German dude in Munich to apply that to the German community, which to be honest, in the beginning was quite interesting because the Germans said, how can you help us? You're German, so you don't know shit, which was really bizarre because, you know, as I mentioned, working on such big titles. So I ended up with the first deals and partners having people from France and the UK because they were just about, you know, what did you do before? What do you know? What can you do? Let's go. And so we built our company with clients mostly outside Germany. But uh, over the years, then started helping development studios. And you mentioned that we engaged with so many companies. We built something fairly unique. We built this family of companies where it's really about empowering development studios to focus as much as possible on development. And we kind of take care of the rest. So, Yeah, so uh, just for the people who don't understand, what is the rest? I mean, what does that mean exactly? The rest means on the one hand side, you know, let's say the corporate side, you know, helping on accounting, uh, financial, first of all, transparency, and then how you basically strategically and with a long-term outlook plan finance. Because, you know, a normal game developer doesn't care about that too much. So the first level is make sure no one goes to prison. Second level is, okay, <laughs> we actually know what's going on. Third level is, okay, we, we you know, with a long-term perspective plan where we want to go. And then, you know, helping on legal. Obviously, we can't really offer legal advice because we're not lawyers, but we have experience. So we guide them on deals and, and setups and uh, contracts on how you, you do this and how to step out and co- protect copyright and, and stuff like that. Then we help on HR, on the recruitment side, but also on the training, the retention and so on. So I would say that this could be exchanged to every other industry, kind of. Wow, um, interesting. Yeah. And then where it starts to be uh, domain-specific is just that uh, we help them raise the money. Traditionally, that means we knock at the door of the likes of Electronic Arts, uh, um, Activision, and so on. You know, publishers uh, you might uh, know and recognize and you know, ask them if they are interested in the game ideas we're trying to do or if they have some games they want to to be developed and if we could pitch on them that we are the ones executing. So we do the biz dev and the sales for them. That also includes strategic initiatives. You know, I do a lot of political work. So we helped uh, over the last 15 years that there's subsidies in Europe. You know, that's a long-term game, right? You know, to, to have subsidies in the first place and then have the programs installed and so on to always be on the lookout for additional sources of funding, basically. And last but not least, we on some games help them on what we call production, producing, then it goes deeper into the actual development of the game and making sure that we, in the creative side and free-to-play, also the commercial monetization side, that the developers have all the support to make the best they can do. Wow, uh, that is quite comprehensive. And yeah. tell me when you started first, I mean, how difficult was it to get that first few customers yeah, you mentioned France initially, or yeah, this is um, in in the so this year we become fifteen years, uh, so really fifteen years ago. Uh, you know, the first couple of engagements then were a bit different. So on the one hand side, some publishers even hired us to be consultants for them, helping yeah. identifying developers and so on. And some developers already hired us to kind of up level their pitches. So go in, make them better, challenge them, maybe attach couple of key talents like you know a well-known producer from the uk or something like this 
or even me as a person because I had you know some decent credits in my previous career at Take Two. So helping them more on that style and this going in become partners of development studios, really shareholding partners and build them long term strategically. That we only started, I think, three or four years in, so 11, 12 years ago ish. And in the beginning, you know, to be honest, most I talked to were like, what the fuck is this? They didn't know what we do because it was so, and still is so unusual. And the second is that, you know, we sometimes are engaging with studios who are still at university. So for some others, it's like, why are you doing this? How is this commercially viable? And again, mentioning my philosophical background, you know, I don't think in years, I think in decades. So we, we have a different point of view. Right. And I am always excited and especially, you know, to see this raw talent, even with the student team, you know, and our flagship studio, Chimera Entertainment. I met them first when they were at university. Now it's a 65 people, triple A, you know, more than 20 different nationalities, I think from four different continents. You know, wow. they do high-end stuff. And we picked them up when they were students. Amazing. How did you just come across them in the network? Is it or how do you get introduced to these kind of are? You know, this specific one, through, through my network, I had a befriended uh, journalist who gave a talk at a, a local academy for game development. He saw the guys, he saw the game, and he said, you know, you should talk to this guy, Hendrik. I introduce you. And to be honest, then everything went pretty quick. We decided within, I think, two weeks that we form a company together took us a couple of months more to actually get enough traction and interest with publishers that we say, you know, now we blow the horn and actually execute. But um, a lot of uh, it is actually happening through ex-students of mine because I'm also teaching for 10 years. I have a chair for production in Berlin. So again, this is us being holistic. If we want to build something over time, yes, we have to engage into education. These are for me logical, obvious things to do. And if those students even get an education based on a curriculum I co-wrote, even better. Because then I kind of know what, what I'm getting, right? And in many cases, either students after finishing the university courses called me or these kind of, you know, I felt like a sleeper cell. Five years later, it's time. I'm, I'm ready. <laughs> You're mine. <laughs> You're mine. Yeah, you know, I had, uh, I think, three of those, you know, where, where ex-students... After they went through kind of an employment career, five years in, they were really, you know, like really that clandestine calling me and saying, let's go, let's do this. Yeah, it's interesting that one with the students, do you know quite quickly that these guys are going to be serious guys based based on your experience and how do you spot these people? A lot of it is gut feeling. A lot of it is passion, to be honest. If I see someone really passionate about it, that already is, uh, you know, the buy-in from my end is, is much more easy. I actually, to a certain degree, even dislike people who are too business, business, business from the beginning. Because in gaming, I'm not talking about if you do what I call shovel business, if you do make an engine or a tool or something like this. I'm not talking about that. But if, if I talk about development, if you do not have this kind of intrinsic passion and drive, I think I don't trust you really. Why do you want to make games then? Yeah. And Obviously, it's not only about the passion. Then uh, you would remain what we then call, you know, fanboys or fangirls. And that's actually a dangerous territory because it means you always stay unprofessional in a way. Only want to chasing what you did and, you know, when you were playing as a kid or something yeah. like this. I think everybody gets what I mean. But 
we look for people who understand at least that it is also business, who have the passion, who have idea of what kind of games they want to do. Of course, they need to have someone technical and they have to be able to produce something I can play, even if it's a prototype. And then we take it from there. And one thing which we also do, which is quite uncommon, I guess, is when we start working with a team, you know, we ultimately want to become shareholding partners in the team, right? Okay, yeah. Like a real partner, not like an investor, but a real partner as we would yeah. be co-founder. And what we do is for six, 12, sometimes 18 months, this only exists on a you know, non-binding LOI basis. Oh, okay. So a team and us can basically step away from that marriage for quite a long time. It's really and trust, so, so? Yeah, some people are like, y- you're stupid. You know, they could just walk away. First of all, you know, if we bring the money, that's covered by one out of three contracts. So if we bring in money, we get our cut, no problem. But we do not get the shares like this because, you know, to be honest, if I have to convince someone to give me shares on the first day, the likeliness they will be disappointed is fucking high. Because okay. we're not magicians, right? You know, we're professionals. We know what we do. We know, you know, we have a lot of experience, a great network and so on. But it's still a very tough job. So for them to test us and see what we can do and for us to test them, we have to go through ups and downs, to be honest. You know, it sounds weird, but to a certain degree, I don't like teams too much who with the first game already are super successful because most of them do not understand that's 95% luck if your first game is already a big hit. And then it gets really, really difficult to uh, work with those teams because they don't, you know, they're too self-confident if that even exists. You know, I, I very much believe in self-confidence, but if you become even arrogant or if you do not understand really the factors which caters into your success, you will most likely make really weird decisions in the future. But it's, it's a big investment on your side. That's a big risk you're taking also. Spend all that time and investment. Yeah, and that's very true. But on the other side, and you know, I can't stress this enough for anybody who gets inspired to give me a ring after hearing to this podcast is, we want to be partner in your studio. So we are not an investor or an angel. You know, an angel would take one, two, three percent. An investor would discuss valuation with you, which in most of the cases when a development studio and the phase we step in, in my opinion, is just madness. So we don't even go there at all. So we take a you know decent double-digit cut in your percentage of the company over time. So if we both agree after this prospect phase, we want to go on, we are really your partner in your company. So for us, and we do not really pay a shit ton of money for that because we have the risk and we rather invest with our brains and effort than with our money. It does mean that we don't invest money at all, but not on this kind of you know high-end valuations, which sometimes linger around or you might read in, in the news about. Wow, very interesting. How difficult is it then to get finance in the gaming industry? Depends on what you're aiming for. So it's like uh, when we stick with this equity side, you know, to get a VC to invest in your gaming startup, if you just started out yesterday, you're young, you know, if, if your team is not comprised of geniuses and your first product is genius, you don't even go there. You won't get money. It's not going to happen. Okay. If you take the example of Supercell, you know, the big Supercell, you know, valued over 10 billion, blah, blah, blah. When the guys set it up, they were already in the industry 15, 20 years, you know, with uh, senior roles and so on. So they had a network, they had credibility and so on. So in my opinion, the classic VC 
game development side do not really match and mix too well. Okay. If you talk about the more traditional route, it's like you as a developer knocking at the door of a publisher. I mentioned EA, Activision, Ubisoft, Konami's, and, and, and so on. Worldwide, there's like 400 publishers-ish. I would say 150 to 200 are really relevant on, in the different sizes. You give them a ring and they finance just the project, right. which you know is great for you as a developer, especially in the early days, because you have basically not too much risk. The big downside is they take the IP. So you will get a share from the royalties. So ask for that. If you don't, you're, you're stupid. So that's benchmark. Always ask for royalties. But you know you will not get the IP if the publisher is paying for everything and this is your first, second, or third game and you're not already king of China, as in you know, wow. made yeah. a tremendous success out of nowhere. Wow. And so in the gaming market in Germany, I mean, these gamers, I mean, Munich, is that a big gaming hub in terms of development? It's one of the hubs. It's not the biggest. Berlin, Hamburg are considered to be the bigger hubs. You could say the Rhine-Main area, you know, everything broader of Frankfurt going up to Cologne in a way. That's a hub too, but it's a pretty big one, as in area. So, so Monique is, again, not the top, but it's definitely playing a role. And is it just German companies work with then, Hendrik, or do you work with Oh, no. Um, we are international, so we have a subsidiary even in Finland and two teams okay. in Finland. We have a subsidiary in Romania, uh, started with the first game. Unfortunately, it didn't work out, so at the moment we don't have a team there. We just actually uh, founded uh, RCP Scotland a couple of months ago. Okay. So we plan to have teams there in the UK, you know, a little bit uh, pre-Brexit, you know, uh, making the move. You're joining um, the club, yeah? <laughs> uh, yeah, so let's see what comes out of that. Why, and, sorry, uh, why Scotland? That was a bit of a coincidence. You know, I mentioned GTA 3 and me working on age rating, right? right. You know, the, the one who was leading the Rockstar Studio in the UK, that was the one we started the, the Scottish operation with. So it's a oh. connection I have nearly 20 years so it's kind of based on people too and we are in the final stage of the end of what i call the prospect phase so really signing them that they where we become shareholders with the team in pakistan oh wow gosh and that's a total coincidence it's like uh, i did a broader outreach two years ago at gdc in san francisco the game developer conference big show and one of them was a studio from pakistan and you know i liked the guy I met the, the business director there from the first second and met the CEO. We all got along really well. Those guys align and sync with our value set quite well. Yeah, it's key with really, the cultural yeah. line, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah this is, uh, yeah, you know, I had so many learnings. You know, when, when I started, I was like, you know, it's super interesting. I kind of dislike the guys. Maybe they're even assholes, but, you know, we, we make it work. No, you yeah. don't. Yeah. You know, just don't do it, you know. Yeah. Don't do the same mistakes I did. Don't engage with assholes if you don't, you know, if your life depends on it, you know, maybe. But if you have the choice, just don't do it. That's a great lesson learned, uh, Henrik, definitely. No. I'm, I'm interested actually to go back to, because I love the way you, you, you do teaching and you've got your own course. Mm-hmm. And also, if you could tell us a bit about the, the European Games Biz Dev Gathering, which I also thought was quite interesting. Mm-hmm. So to start with the teaching, so when I became my own boss, I immediately started reaching out to the already existing academies in Germany back then because that was a bit pre the phase where the public universities starting teaching games. Now more or less every public university in Germany teaches some game course, but that wasn't true 15 years ago. 
So I got engaged in one in Berlin. The Games Academy is one of the oldest kind of privately held academies in Europe teaching already the different disciplines as in game design, coding, art. And then I helped them introduce production. So I was chair for production for a couple of years, you know, and I think you kind of better understand me now is, of course, you know, 30% of the guys who finished the course ended up working for me. <laughs> so there was Maybe always... Excellent. Access talent, you know, and of course we didn't bully them into working with us. You know, it's just that they decided then in the end to come to us was always, you know, kind of a great feedback loop, to be honest. Right. And I then also started sending many of my colleagues to teach. You know, some of them even came up with this proactively. Others we had to, let's say, push a bit. But uh, for this kind of constant talent pool and influx, I think it's key in our industry to be connected to education. Mm. And on top of that, and this is where this is a great bridge then also to EGBG, you know, I feel to a certain degree responsibility as a citizen. You know, this is an emerging industry. In my opinion, it is the key culture technique for this basically a century. And I know a shit ton about it. So it's like, it's, I feel it's kind of my duty to go out there and you know, educate, create awareness, help newcomers not making the same mistakes and so on and so yeah. on. So th this is a, a mix of uh, motivations. And EGBG is also something like that. So one of my roles on the political side is that I'm the president of the Re European Game Developer Federation. Most of you will not, not ever have heard it. It's, uh, it sounds it's, good uh, on you. <laughs> it sounds good, yeah. It's, it's uh, what we call a meta association okay. uh, because it's, uh, uh, it's lobbying directly in Brussels for regulations oh. in that field and accompanying ones too. And the members are not individual people or individual companies, but national trade organizations. So the British trade organization is a member, the German la la la. Overall, 18 national organizations are member. And I'm on the board now for nearly 10 years and they're president for five years. So yes, we do have a goal there of, on the one hand side, every association, first of all, of course, lobbies for regulations. If you're a trade body, that's the key objective, right? This is why you set up a trade body. The second is you offer services to your members, you know, advice and, you know, comprehensive material, blah, blah, or, uh, you know, uh, courses and webinars and, and stuff like that. And the third is identity. And that's also very important. You know, it's like if you enter a club, you know, you want to feel that this is your people, right? And you want to feel good about it. So when COVID started happening, you know, lucky enough, my business wasn't really affected. I keep saying that we are more or less at 99% of what we forecasted. Wow. So all good, yeah. you know. You have to understand that in gaming, I have friends who are at 250, 300%. Wow. Because they have online games out there. So, yeah. of course, there's a huge uptick on established online games uh, mm. since uh, the start of the crisis. That doesn't mean that every game company is in a luxury position. If you just released, you're basically fucked. If you're super small, don't have a network yet, you're fucked, and so on. Okay. So it's like not every game company is a winner. But I thought about my own company and I said, you know, my main risk is the day after tomorrow. If we do not meet our network to discuss deals, we will have a problem in a year or two. So I thought about, you know, how to mitigate this. And I came up with, you know, maybe we do kind of a pitching event. You know, we have enough teams, so there's enough content. We invite publishers. And then I was like, hmm, that's basically relevant for everybody, right? Yeah. Oh, good that I'm also the president of the European Federation. So I combined everything and said, 
On top of that, you know, my company can afford it. We do this pro bono. So we did everything and paid for everything ourselves as a company. And we gave all the money to the European Association. So this is how we got all the support of all the national trade organizations, because it was obvious that this is not a you know, exploitative move of my company to, yeah, you know, yeah, uh, and, and so on. Also the developers, we charged them 35 bucks. You know, if you yeah. attend Gamescom in Cologne, I think a day ticket without access to anything, not a meeting at all is more expensive than that. So made it so cheap that it's Fantastic. not free, yeah. but still super cheap. And we told the publishers, you know, pay what you want, which was a very nice and interesting social experiment because uh, we had and? publishers who really gave a lot and others which was like, hmm, aren't you the ones who reported a billion in profit last year? Interesting. Oh. But, you know, I won't go into details yeah, of okay. that, obviously. But next um, time, next time we'll be the pint, maybe. <laughs> um, and so we were able to very early on, we actually made the first relevant business-to-business focused on business making event in the games industry worldwide in the crisis because you know i basically said you know when we decided to do it as we do it in five weeks so i'm glad for the team glad for myself i was uh, it's one of the few projects where i was also operatively doing it because i knew you know i can't just be the wise ass saying you know you guys yeah, do yeah. it and then uh, <laughs> lean back and say oh A good leader so, uh, so I, I really had to do this myself basically and so i did Five weeks awesome. of crunching, that's what we call it, you know, when you do you know, 50, 60 plus hours per week. But it was totally worth it. We had more than 2,000 meetings. And <laughs> the, the, the feedback loop from all the companies was like, you know, this was one of the best shows ever. Super efficient, super effective, very Fantastic. focused. So it was overall a you know, great experience, such a win-win-win situation for everybody. So I'm, I'm really happy about it. That's awesome. Yeah, awesome. So what's the, what does the future hold? I mean, what's next? You know, conquering the rest of the world, basically, you know, that's what we Germans do, right? It's like, uh, you know, joke aside, you know, for, for us, it's, it's really, you know, continuing on this path of taking the games industry seriously, taking us, you know, seriously, the talent, really empowering the talent. And we always say from the bottom to the top and not the other way around. So for us, it's really about the development studio. My personal vision is that, you know, the RCP family at one point in time really covers all the world, basically. And we have all these synergies. We, we do two times a year, we do our own conference for the family. You know, at the peak, we had nearly 60 panels and discussions planned in a three-day summit, only accessible right. for our own family. So I think, you know, this works what we do. I think it's the right thing to do. We do it. Sustainability is one of our key four values since we founded the company. I mean, you know, I'm a I'm a green guy, so that has always been dear to my heart, sustainability, okay. and keep doing this. And you know, my personal goal is really that also the company survives me. You know, I don't plan to quit anytime soon, but you know, if I'm too old enough, then I want the company to be much you know, stronger, more impactful, and also healthy for all our team members and teams and other leaders in the company that they can continue doing it. That's really what we do. So it's like, I don't want to become a billionaire and that's my goal and sit on the island and bore myself to death. It's really about living the journey, right? Having fun. Yeah. And, you know, what's the, what's the prediction in terms of gaming? I mean, because there's so many different platforms, devices. What, what's your prediction where we're going for the future? Yeah, this is an interesting question. You know, until a couple of years ago, I would could have, could have answered this very specifically and said that this is going to happen. And yes. I would be 95% right. You know, maybe until five, six years ago. That's not true anymore. It's not because I, you know, drank too much pints or something, but 
the industry is in a maturity state that I can't, one mind can't really grasp it anymore. And that wasn't really true for a long time. You know, there were so few games and so few platforms. If you really wanted to, you kind of knew who's relevant and you could play 90% of the relevant games released in that year. You know, with mobile having a thousand games released per day, wow. you know, that of course, you know, 99% of those games are not relevant yeah. as in, you know, your grandmother might, might like them, but you know, not necessarily a broader audience, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. but you get my point. So the future holds more growth, even a bigger impact, you know, just giving an insight here, you know, we are making games from the uh, Ministry of Defense to educate officers wow. to make a game for a company to educate people how to do use big machinery better to branded entertainment stuff to you know we did two of the angry birds so mass market entertainment whole family kind of thing we did games for 80, 18 plus you know in regards to violence and showing the nipple and so yeah. you get the point you know the, the broadness is huge and i think people really have to understand that this is a culture technique and this has never been only for kids or you know a pastime where you take out the controller on your Atari and that's what it is. It was always clear that you can do so much more with it. Awesome. Listen, thank you so much for your time today. How about if, if people want to reach out to you, learn more about you and your companies, how can they get a hold of you? You know, feel free to add me on LinkedIn. I think that's the, the most suitable that's how one. We met, yeah. If you want, even I, I don't bother on Facebook or you know Instagram you go for it. But I think the best if you want to engage in the discussion or want to know something more, engage on LinkedIn. More than happy to do and answer some more questions. You know. And uh, it has been a great pleasure to give some insight in what I do and especially also to the future of gaming as in ever growing, ever expanding and kind of being the dominant media form of the century at least. And in my opinion, you know, why would we ever go back as a society to a non-interactive way of doing things? And it's not me saying that movies die out. I, I love movies and, and the linear uh, content, but you know, playing with your friends online is just so much more engaging, right? I see it now even with the kids and the cousins. They're playing out, got the, got the pole and art, and they're playing it together. Whereas I've never been so close. Whereas when we were at that age group, yeah, yeah, you'd is... never ever hear or see or talk to them at that distance. Yeah, the, the only thing we did was kind of nerd out on it, right? You know, meeting yeah. together, copying the games what I said before. So I, I still have very vivid memories uh, on, on those days, uh, traveling to an unknown hood in Munich at the age of eight, thinking that I might be, you know, never go back. But, you know, I went there because I, I knew that this guy would have had three games I didn't have yet. So, of course, I took the danger upon me uh, to travel to new lands. <laughs> Listen, thank you so much for your time. Honestly, yeah. a really pleasure, Henrik. Yeah, thank you so much. Yeah, thank you too.